Hello, podcast listeners. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of When Losing Means Winning. I have another great interview for you. I am about to talk to Jason Cutter, who was a shark tagger turned sales consultant. So there's a lot of twists and turns, and we kind of move fast through them. But I think there's a lot of valuable nuggets along the way and a lot to gather from his many losses on his road to his success where he is today. So enjoy, and I'll catch you on the other side. Hello, podcast listeners. Thank you for joining me again on the podcast, When Losing Means Winning. I have a new guest for us today. He's going to talk to us about a lot of his adventures in his career and a little bit about life and uh, what his story of loss and winning is. So Jason, why don't you introduce yourself to our listeners a little bit about who you are now and uh, then we can get started with your story. Sure. Thanks for having me. First off, I... Uh, when we connected, I just fell in love with the concept of what your um, show is about. Uh, and I'll, I'll explain more. I actually have some stuff I was just thinking about that I think would apply. But uh, for me, you know, I got a long history and background of a windy path through life. Life has kind of taken me many places. Uh, what I do now is I'm a sales success consultant and coach and trainer, podcaster, uh, soon to be author, depending on when somebody listens to this, hopefully the uh, book will be out by then. But, um, and then what the interesting thing is, is that uh, my bachelor's degree is in marine biology and I spent four years tagging sharks. So uh, there's a lot of stuff in between there. Um, but one of the biggest things I have found out about myself, especially now is, you know, my goal is to help people, help people transform and, uh, you know, people find success and using their strengths and, and doing what they want in life. Awesome. That sounds like a very admirable goal and hopefully one that's going to be put to good use here coming up in the next few years, month, whatever we're doing, going through this whole debacle we're going through. Yeah, right for now. sure. <laughs> um, so let's start off with, uh, like we talked about your marine biology background. So uh, first of all, um, how did you get into marine bi biology really quickly? Was it a dream as a kid? And then was it you know, what, what got you into it, I guess? Start there. Well, if we're going to go way back and we're going to, I'm going to be super honest. Um, I was in my dinosaur phase as a kid, uh, being a kid in the early eighties, you know, it's well before Jurassic park, but I was in my dinosaur phase. Uh, and then I shifted to a shark phase. It actually, part of what happened was I was in high school, uh, early years in high school. And I had a general biology teacher who was amazing. Um, and there was a section on fish and then sharks. And I just kind of started to fall in love and he supported it and actually took me to some events where I got to meet some leading shark experts, you know, in person. Uh, and then that just started me on the path of sharks and fish tanks and aquariums and just everything related to that. That's awesome. Uh, side note, if, I ever have my reception, it will be at an aquarium. It's supposed to be at the New England Aquarium. There you go. That would be that would be amazing. It would be so cool to do it there. I can only imagine. Yeah, it, yeah, it was going to be really fun. But um, cool. So uh, you graduate, and I I think you had mentioned that you had a really hard time trying to find a job in that field. And uh, but eventually, I'm sure maybe not too many people sign up to tag sharks, or maybe there is a high demand for that job. But talk to us a little bit about that. 
Well, so I was uh, at UC Santa Cruz, amazing school, amazing marine biology school. Well, known. I mean, it's in Santa Cruz, the whole Monterey Bay area. I actually spent a couple of years while I was in school, the whole time I was working with an organization, Pelagic Shark Research Foundation, as a volunteer, and we were tagging sharks and doing fish and game projects, even some scuba diving. And um, literally, when I graduated in 98, I applied for a job. The only job that was available was a job for fish and game. It was $8 an hour scrubbing boats. Like it wasn't even doing any actual stuff. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't get that job. They gave it to a master's student. And I don't know what the landscape is like now from marine biology, but at least at that time in the middle and late 90s, everyone wanted to work at SeaWorld. Everyone wanted to work at the aquarium. Everyone wanted to work with dolphins and, and seals and sea lions. And it was just so competitive and so packed. I mean, they gave that boat cleaning job to a master's student. Like I couldn't wow. get it as a batch, as a graduate from a good school with years of years and years of actual like field experience. I couldn't get it. All right. Ugh. All right. So, um, that at that point, I'm sure you're to some extent reconsidering your life choices, right? And thinking about what you're going to do next because you don't want to, you can't get a job, right? So, I, I can't get a job, and I was. I, I felt burnt out from school after community college and then going there. And I just like, I was burnt out. I think that was the outward excuse or reason, but the internal was, it wasn't what I wanted to do. And I wasn't that passionate. It was cool and it was exciting, but not like, you know, can't wait to do this every single day for the rest of my life. Passionate, which, you know, looking back, obviously I'm thankful, you know, and obviously the theme of your show is when losing, you know, means winning. I mean, I couldn't get an $8 an hour job. I was literally, literally willing to live in my Volkswagen, uh, down in Monterey to do that job because I was making way more money than that waiting tables at the time. And I was mm -hmm. willing to just you know, sacrifice and I couldn't even get that. And so I stayed in Santa Cruz a few more years and then ended up moving to Seattle and then got a job at Microsoft doing tech support, which also doesn't make sense. No, that makes no sense. <laughs> <laughs> um, did you, how did you feel at that tech support job? Were you uh, excited to do it or was it something that you just had to take or? So at that point in my life, I saw how successful I had become and how much I enjoyed working with people when I was at a restaurant. So early on, the way I was raised is that I didn't really want to work with people. I didn't want to work with the public. I didn't want to sell. I didn't want to interact with people. Uh, I, I, when I first went into a restaurant job, I was as a busser because I'm like, okay, this way I don't have to talk to anybody. I don't want to talk mm -hmm. to people because I don't like people. And then I got moved up to a waiter and then I figured, okay, this is good. I like this. Uh, and I, you know, understood. And it's funny because people now they, they talk to me or they hear me and they're like, wait, you, I'll say things like, I don't really like talking to people. They're like, you're ridiculous. Like, what are you talking mm. about? I just didn't see it. Right. A lot of times people see it in you, but you can't see it in yourself. And so, uh, I thought at tech, uh, Microsoft doing tech support, I could combine, you know, people skills, customer service with my natural desire to solve problems and, you know, and help fix things as the gateway to getting into a technical job as a, a guy who has a degree in marine biology uh, and get into something technical and go down that path. And uh, it turned out I don't like technical stuff and it's not really me and I didn't want to do that. Uh, and it wasn't a good fit. Like my coworkers would come in after the weekend and they'd be talking about everything they did on their computers or programs and all that. I'm like, oh, that's, that was not me. That was not me at all. So when uh, you said this really quickly, uh, but I want to go back to it. You said something about how it was how you were raised. 
uh, yeah. that you um, weren't like wanting to be involved with the public too much or like public facing role. Uh, what do you mean by that? Like, what do you mean? Give us some examples of how you were raised. So my, my parents who are still together now, uh, they, uh, my mom before she retired was in banking and finance. And my dad before he retired was a research engineer who then moved his way up to project manager, director, all under engineering space. So he always dealt with engineers on government mm -hmm. contracts and my mom dealt with banking and finance. Uh, when you're in banking and finance, you see all the bad stuff that people do to other people with their finances, uh, like the fraud and all of those things. And so yeah. you generally have a uh, kind of negative a view of the world, kind of like police, right? Like they only see the bad stuff. And so, and then my dad is very engineering analytical. So I had these two analytical parents who didn't see salespeople as a good role. Like they, like they saw it as a battle. Salespeople take from you. And it was always a thing that my mom had whenever she bought. So that's kind of what I grew up with was, you know, it wasn't a pro sales. It wasn't a pro people. It wasn't a, you know, a pro interact with people and get some kind of, you know, customer facing job role. And so that's, you know, and then I'm a product of both of those, you know, nature and nurture. And so I went out in the world going, yeah, I don't like people either. Yeah. I don't want to deal with people. So. Right. So, and then therefore you went and, and tried to work with sharks instead. And so I just picked, you know, science, science is easy, right? There's no people involved. You deal with sharks. They're right. way more predictable, way easier to work with than people for sure. Did you ever feel like you were fighting something that was true to your identity that you would want to um, like public face something or were you just always convinced that was the case and then it took some people to be like, no, actually you are good working with other people and you should try something like that out. It's taken many of those stages and I can identify them. A one being in that restaurant when I worked in Santa Cruz where I was like, okay, I'll be a busser and I got a, I got a chance to do that. And then people saying, well, you should be a server now and, you know, wait tables and interact. And I fought it and I was resistant, but I did it. And then it worked out really well. Uh, other times where I didn't want to be a manager. I didn't want to be a leader. I didn't think that was me. Somebody saw it in me, you know, pushed me in that direction. I accepted it and, you know, and then embraced it. So. Awesome. Cool. So, uh, so we are going to fast forward and you went into Microsoft and you worked in tech for a few years. Yep. Um, yep. And you learned that you did not want to be an engineer. And nope. <laughs> uh, so what happened after that? Uh, well, uh, the, the uh, fates decided for me and for us. Uh, that was when everything was getting outsourced and offshored to uh, places like China and India. So it was 2002. Uh, now it seems commonplace and you just can't imagine a time when that didn't happen. But literally that was when it happened. We were at Microsoft and we were basically given two months notice and said, hey, we're all, if you guys can help train these people in China and India on how to do your jobs, that would be great. And then all of a sudden it was like, okay, we don't need you anymore. And then a whole ton of people were let go. I was thankful and happy because I knew it wasn't the right place for me and that decided it. Uh, which was good. Other people obviously was unfortunate for, and you know, we're now dealing with that on a, on a global scale, but yeah, that's what happened. The beginning of outsourcing and offshoring, you know, fixed that mm. and ended that for me. It's so it was, sounds like pretty immediately you were okay with that. Like you were just, yeah. Oh yeah. 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 I was, I was unhappy in it. Um, and it's interesting because now I look at that, especially as a manager, as a consultant or dealing with other people, there's these t telltale signs of when someone doesn't want to be there 
like absenteeism or just performance-based stuff or attitude or mindset, like all these mm. things, like in a role sure. or in something somebody's doing, a hobby, it could be anything. And uh, I, I could see that in myself, like uh, taking breaks all the time. I mean, of course, Microsoft had like ping pong and pool and video games everywhere. <laughs> it was like, you know, I went from yeah. not taking breaks to like taking every single possible break I could and, um, you know, not wanting to work. Uh, so yeah, I was, I was super happy. So were you proactive about finding something else before then? Or were you just, no. Oh, lax- no. you're just lackadaisical. Like, I, I, I was in it because I didn't know what else I wanted to do. Again, here's a dude with marine biology, not happy at Microsoft in Seattle. It's like, what else do I do? Like, where do I even go with my life? Literally no idea. So I wasn't proactive. Since then, I have been more proactive when I'm unhappy somewhere and I want to move. But in that moment, I I had no idea what to do next, so I just wrote it out. That's why I'm thankful it ended because I don't know what I would have done or when I would have found it. Might still be there for all you know. Like <laughs> I might still be there, you know? Be that disgruntled, angry tech support dude that you talk to and, you know, just you know, deal with. I don't know. Right. <laughs> um, so, okay. So you got laid off. Then what did come next? So then I uh, was trying to figure out what I wanted to be when I grew up. Um, and family friend told me about this guy who had a mortgage company doing residential, you know, mortgage loan officer work, was looking to expand. And then I got a job there. And that was my first technical sales role, right? My first time in a sales role uh, doing that. And that was in 2002. And how'd you feel? Did you go through a lot of training to become in sales? Did it go nope. natural? No, no, no. So no training and not natural uh, would be the two answers for that, for sure. Um, It was more of a, you know, here's your desk. Here's the phone. When somebody calls, ask them these questions and then, you know, transfer them to me and I'll take care of them was, you know, and then you learn that way, learn by watching from there and we'll show you the ropes. Um, Not a formal training. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't a big organization where there's like corporate training and you're going through classes and learning sales tactics and strategies and behaviors and all the, like, absolutely not. It was, you know, kind of shadow and listen and learn. Um, Luckily I'm a good listener and a good student of that. Um, But I will tell you like the first six months there, was the some of the most painful because I just made tons of mistakes. I made tons of mistakes operationally. I made tons of mistakes sales-wise and conversations. Some things that I still today I can reference because I remember how bad I was messing stuff up from a sales perspective that I teach people not to do because I still remember those lessons from like 2002, 2003. Awesome. That sounds like a good win from that situation anyway. Yeah. Um, how did you get that job? How did you think about going in there? I forgot if you mentioned it. But. It, was a, it was a, you know, family friend, basically. You know, I wasn't sure I wanted maybe mortgage, maybe real estate. I wasn't sure. Family friend said, hey, here's a guy. He's looking to, you know, expand. I'll mm-hmm. introduce you and then see what happens from there. So how did you feel about going into sales? Um, you know, I felt like it was kind of helping people. I didn't really think about it too much. And it was more of a, you know, I don't really have anything else. Wasn't mm-hmm. a lot of other directions and I wasn't sure. So it was worth a shot, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and just see what happens. Awesome. Okay. So you do this for a little while. You make a lot of mistakes. Yep. <laughs> you learn yep. from it. <laughs> yep. Uh, and then what? Uh, did that for a few years. And as much as I liked doing it, um, it still didn't feel quite right. It didn't excite me. Um, helping people buy homes was good. Helping them get into a lot of debt 
maybe not so good. It, it didn't feel quite right. And what I've, what I've realized and learned in retrospect is more um, that it was good, but it didn't really, it helped people achieve their goals, but it didn't really help people in ways that I like helping people transform and, you know, get better. Kind of like with what you do and your message, it's like, yes, I could help people do that, but I'd rather help people's situations get better. And mm-hmm. it just, it, it wasn't doing it for me. Um, you know, some people love doing it and it's great and they feel fulfilled. For me, it just felt a little, it was missing something. And so I actually left that and then went into business for myself with a business partner, helping people who are in foreclosure, helping them avoid foreclosure, helping them keep their homes or, you know, sell their homes before they lost it. And, you know, just trying to help those people who are in distress. So did that for a few years as well. It sounds like, so this time you were a little more proactive about finding a new situation for yourself. Yeah. Instead of being absentee and taking a lot of breaks this time around. Yeah, that one, that one, that one was definitely more like, okay, so let's, let's shift and let's do this. And you know, this is, this seems like a good idea. What was um, one of the, like the most surprising things you've learned from, you said you learned a lot and you failed a lot. What was one of the most surprising things you learned from that, that time at that sales, the mortgage sales? Um, you know, the one big lesson is that in sales, it well in life is most people follow the golden rule too far. And in sales, it's usually detrimental. And here's what I mean by that is the golden rule is treat other people as you want to be treated, right? Like it's, that's a good thing to do. The problem is, is that if you're not careful when you do that in sales, it's a terrible thing to do. Meaning a lot of people as salespeople treat their prospects and their customers like they want to be treated as a customer. Now, and I'm not talking about like respect and and kindness and empathy and listening and talking i'm talking about they deliver the sales experience to that prospect that they like to get so for mm. example for me as a customer i you know especially being an analytical person one of my biggest fears is making a mistake right and if you understand behaviors and personalities like there's certain groups uh, people like me don't want to make mistakes, don't want to screw up, don't want to look bad, uh, don't want to be made fun of, like, you know, in that bucket. And so as a customer, I don't want to choose wrong. I don't want to make a mistake. I don't want to, you know, make a, a buying decision that then is a failure internally or externally. And so I want lots of data. Uh, the biggest trap is going into analysis paralysis where you're looking for the perfect solution. The perfect solution doesn't exist and you eventually don't buy anything or do anything with your life because you're just waiting for the perfect uh, option. And so as a customer, I want lots of data. I want spreadsheets. I want metrics. I want to know how it's worked for other people. I want to see these things, right? As a salesperson, what I was doing was also providing that to my customers. So they wanted to buy a house. I would give them a spreadsheet with 15 different options of every different type of loan that they could get a 30 year, a 15 year, yeah. a first mortgage, a second mortgage, this kind, this kind, these prices, these rates. And I would hand that to them thinking I was doing them a service because that's what I would want, right? The golden rule. And so I would hand that to them and, and, Person after person, family after family, they'd say, this is interesting. Let us think about it. And I'd never hear from them again because I mm. literally freaked them out and put them into analysis paralysis. And it was terrible. I realized with some guidance that was so wrong. And as a professional, as a salesperson, my role was to assess their situation and then give them the one or two option that was the right diagnosis and prescription for their situation. And mm-hmm. once I made that shift, it was huge. Instead of the giant spreadsheet, it was two. It was based on what you told me, 
I think you mm-hmm. could go with this or with this, which do you think is better? Mm-hmm. And then that was radically different. And there's so many salespeople now that still do something similar to the mistake I did instead of narrowing it down as a professional, they're afraid of just telling somebody like a doctor would like, okay, based on my analysis, you should do X. Right. Which right? is why we're and, talking to you because we want you to tell us kind of that. Right? Yeah. That, that's what your prospects want. They're coming to you. It's like the same reason somebody goes to a doctor. They don't go to the doctor for the doctor to say, okay, well, here's 15 brochures. Why don't you pick which surgery we should do for you? No, you want <laughs> right. them to do what's best and give you the diagnosis and then the right prescription. And so salespeople, it's the same way. That's why like kind of my tagline and what I've been focusing on is helping people go from order taker to quota breaker in sales roles where they just are kind of just order takers. They're just giving lots of options and hoping somebody picks something versus stepping into that role. And really what your duty is as a sales professional, just like any other professional to guide that person forward. So yeah, that was, that was a monumental, I failed. I, I lost, a, I would say a lot of money for months and months and months of, you know, shooting myself in the foot until I realized that important lesson. How did you figure that out? Uh, somebody, somebody sat in on one of my meetings, uh, one of, you know, the, the person I worked for and, and he not being like me. So not liking lots of choices, being more on the other end of the spectrum personality wise. He's like, Oh yeah, that's terrible. Don't give him so many choices. <laughs> Just tell him like the couple of things to do. And I'm like, right. Oh, that's yeah. what I've been, that, no wonder my, my sales suck right now. And, and it's really what it was. Um, how did your parents react to you picking a more public facing uh, career? Did they say anything to you? Um, you know, again, so everyone can see other people different than they see themselves. You know, they can usually see something in them. They, you, you, can, you can always see somebody else's problems and also their strengths, usually more than they can see it themselves. So my parents supported it. I mean, you know, at a certain point I was raised, we, we went out to dinner a lot uh, as, you know, things, as I got older and as my parents got older and, you know, they, they made a little bit more money instead of cooking, go out. So I was very comfortable in restaurants uh, having gone out a lot. Um, so they supported it. I mean, you know, th- my mom, as much as she doesn't necessarily like public facing, she really likes good service. So she doesn't really enjoy mm-hmm. salespeople if they're manipulating, right? And she has that, you know, banker of sense. But when, sure. it's, but when it's a good salesperson who's like relational and, you know, problem solving or good customer service, like my mom is so focused on customer service because she used to run, you know, bank branches. And so it's all about service. Mm. So when she gets good service, like it's amazing and she loves it. And so that was instilled in me as well, which is just give good service. Like, you know, as yeah. a waiter or a busser, it was like, don't ever let the glass get empty because, you know, that's your tips and that's good service. So, uh, no, they supported it and, uh, you know, it, it was, it, it was fun. What they struggled with though, was when I went into a commission only job because both of them, you know, were in jobs and baby boomers where it's about having the security and, you know, providing and making sure there's state stability. And then I go into this, you know, commission only job where it's like, yeah, I might get paid next month. This is exciting. Like, you know, they, that was, that was stressful for them. They, they were supportive, but it was stressful. I know. Yeah, I bet. Um, okay, so let's uh, let's keep trolling through. You you did a lot of uh, career changes. So we're at the point where you are saving people from evictions or trying to work pe- with people there. Uh, yep. So how does that go? Do you like it? Is it still another like uh, not quite what I really want to be doing? I I really liked it. It was really tough because as a entrepreneur 
and, you know, kind of self-employed with a business partner, but it's all on you, right? You've got to find, you got to do sales, you got to do marketing, you got to do the operations, you actually have to do the work itself. Um, and at that point, I was failing at that really, uh, really bad, uh, meaning that most people need some kind of accountability. They need yeah. somebody to keep them going. And if you're just on an island, it's like, okay, I just got to be successful myself. Few people are driven so much that they don't need anybody else telling them what to do or holding them accountable. And uh, I realized through that stretch of a, of a few years, that was not me, you know, working from home. This is why right now in this time period, there's a lot of people working from home and they're going through what I did way back then, which is lots of naps, lots of watching TV, lots of, you know, running errands instead of working. Um, and so that was tough. I mean, I liked what I did, but there was parts where I just wasn't managing it very well. And so that actually ended, it ended, a, it ended at the point where essentially I had gotten into a ton of debt staying mm -hmm. alive and just paying bills, not doing extravagant things, but, you know, having some deals that work, some deals that didn't work, and then using credit cards and loans to just stay afloat for a couple of years uh, to where that basically all maxed out. And I didn't have a choice but to, you know, go back to work somewhere. All right. So that's a, that's quite a big loss. And so now you need to reinvent yourself again. Yep. <laughs> uh, but you've learned some stuff, I'm sure, from that um, succession of, of working with that, um, like the foreclosures and stuff. Um, yeah. so where do you go from there after that? Well, somebody I had networked with and got connected to knew of a company that was in startup mode, uh, a few employees only just beginning. And basically they were doing the same thing I was with people in foreclosure. Um, but they were doing it all over the phone instead of in person. And I had been raised only in person, right? Like when I was in the mortgage business, the instructions were when somebody calls, set up an appointment face-to-face -face as quickly as mm -hmm. possible and do everything face-to-face -face in the beginning so you can build relationship and trust, right? They're not going to trust you over the phone, so you got to do it in person. And so then I made this transition to this other company as a startup that was doing it all over the phone. They wanted to do it more nationwide. They didn't want to be limited by just, you know, driving and, and appointments. They wanted to help people on a bigger scale. So, but I got a job there on the operational side, like dealing with the banks and dealing with the back end. Um, because again, I had some sales experience, but it was like, I don't want to do the sales. They already had a sales guy. So I'm just going to stick to the back end. And then I was running the back end of stuff. Um, I just had a question and now I completely, completely went out of my head. Uh, oh, I know. Uh, it was, it surprised me to hear you say that you went to a startup even though you were in a ton of debt because startups are known to be quite unstable. Did that like make you yeah. nervous at all at the time or were you pretty No, and I, I think I just, I, maybe I'm just not very smart sometimes, I, I think, <laughs> uh, or I just go with my gut. I don't know. I, I mean, history will always tell you which one was correct or not. I mean, it yeah. was a startup, but it, it's not like a, I, I guess because I knew it would, I, I knew the process would work and I knew it was possible. So it wasn't like a tech startup where they're making this brand new widget that no one's mm. ever seen before and it could fail. This That's was something I had been doing and peop those people had been doing it. And then it was combining forces and like doing it as I a see. company with a structure, yeah. with the guy who was running it. And then obviously there was also a base salary. So that was the key uh, for, for me in the beginning anyway. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, so you start chipping away at this debt. Do you clear it out with this job or do you keep hanging nope, on to it? Nope, you not know, at all. Uh, Man, you transition. I, I, 
you got good at this transitioning thing, huh? <laughs> uh, I am very good at transitioning. That's, that's one thing for sure. And, and it's interesting because in the very beginning, uh, you know, you're, you're talking and in introducing this conversation. One of the things I realized, and, and this is only something new for me. Again, I'm a super analytical person, but what I've gotten into more over the past couple of years is astrological signs and kind of the meanings of things, which is, again, anyone who knew me years ago would be like, you're nuts. Like, this is not you at all. Um, but one of the things, I'm a Scorpio, and one of the signs for Scorpio, as weird as it may sound, is, is the phoenix, Mm. So, um, so it's all about like death and rebirth with Scorpios. Mm. And so that, uh, has been a big thing where it's just, you know, happens all the time with me and I've just gotten really comfortable with it. Comfortable with change. Yep. <laughs> this, that's, that's a good thing to be comfortable with. Um, yeah, I am also a Scorpio. That's what I was nice. saying. Like, <laughs> 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 Perfect. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, so, okay. Um, where were we? We, so you start at so, the startup. Yep. Go ahead. So I'm on the operational side. Uh, the salesperson, the person who's running sales left the company. And then the owner's like, you should run sales and operations. And I'm like, I've never run sales teams. I've never done any of that stuff. Like, that's not me. And again, you know, uh, not wanting to fail at things or look bad. Like I didn't want to do it. He saw it in me and, or just made me do it or didn't have a choice, you know, just needed to fill in the gap. And so I did it and uh, it was a little bit of a struggle, but uh, you know, I, I figured it out and you know, kind of learned a lot about, it was the first time I was training people, training salespeople, building sales processes and systems. Uh, in that time period, one of the things I realized, which was interesting, is I was doing sales, right? And again, I don't come from a sales background, so I didn't have that in me from a, like a nature and a nurture standpoint. Uh, I was in the sales role, and then I was in leading salespeople and training people, and I realized all of that is a presentation, kind of like uh, doing public speaking. So I joined Toastmasters and I actually did Toastmasters for a couple of years to help with all of that because it's all just, you know, public speaking and conversations. That's awesome. What was one of the best things you've learned from Toastmasters? Was there like the a- app, The app, no, it's hands down. The absolute best thing I ever learned from Toastmasters for me personally is when I first started, I would write my speeches and well, I guess there's two things, but one is I would write my speeches and then I would work on memorizing them word for word. And I would stress about it, trying to figure out each word. And I don't have a good brain for that. Some people can memorize stuff and it's super easy for me. Yeah. I've always struggled with that. It's, it's not my greatest skill. And so I would stress and I'd stress and I'd stress. And then I'd go into that, that meeting where I'm going to be the one who's going to be up front speaking for three to five minutes. I feel like I'm going to throw up and go to the bathroom all at the same time. It just feels like death. And I just like hate it. And I get up there and maybe I forget some stuff. What I realized was nobody knows what my speech is. Nobody knows what the words are. And if I miss something, as long as the point is still the same, then that's the value in it. And as long as I'm concise and, and it's coming from a more natural place. The other problem is when I would try to memorize it word for word, mm. it would be unnatural because Absolutely, now it's scripted yeah. and it's terrible. Um, and so then what I started doing was just outlining and bullet points my script, my, mm. my speeches, and then it was amazing. And so even today, if I try to script something out and then I say it, like when I first started my podcast, I would do that. It mm. wasn't, I, I do it to keep myself on task, but it's never quite as good then when I just speak and I just let yeah. go and I know what I want to talk about, but I just let it go. And that was huge. That was, that was a huge, uh, huge thing for me. I can totally relate to that because I like to do a wrap up 
after this, um, like after every episode and just say like, these are the things I gained from this interview and hope you guys learned this too. And a lot of times like I'll just for some reason blank and like not even be able to come up with anything and I'll be like, just hit record. And then I start talking and then like everything comes out and I'm like, that was great, you know? And you so. got to trust, you got to trust that you know what you're talking about and yeah. you know, that it'll just happen and then it's natural and it's authentic and yeah. You know, what's, what's interesting is that people love well-scripted stuff, right? Like TV shows and movies and Broadway plays. And people also really just love authentic, authenticity and knowing someone's real and they stumble or they stutter or they say, oh, too much. I mean, you know, it's just something, something nice about that when, you know, when you listen to someone, you just know it's real. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I can, at this point, I, it feels like marine biology was so long ago, right? You probably, if you had asked yourself like that way back then, if you were going to take a Toastmasters class to be able to talk never. to sharks, sharks better, <laughs> never thought of that. Yeah, right? never. I, I mean, and that's the thing, right? So the, you know, one of the big things is, you know, set a five-year goal. What's your five-year goal? What's your five-year plan? Mm. Whenever I look at any moment in my life and then I rewind five years from that single moment and I go, would I have imagined those next five years or that result? The answer is absolutely not. Um, now, obviously, you could set goals and you drive for it and you do certain things, but life will generally take you on whatever path it wants to take you on. I mean, I try not to be a complete leaf in the wind, but uh, you also, it's tough to, it's tough to battle life. I mean, life, capital L, life will, you know, obviously, that's the point of your show. Uh, life will find a way to, uh, to reset you at times. Absolutely. And, uh, we were talking about this, I think, before the show started, but we both watch Gary V. And Gary V says, throw your five-year plans out the window most of the time. 100%. He's like, they're just like never going to happen. Unless, you Garbage. know, like, yeah. <laughs> so, um, and it's tough. Right. It's tough to balance that with a goal, right? Like, you know, yeah. you and your, your, your health and weight loss journey and where do you want to be? And, you know, there's some things you can control and some things you can put your actions in. But even someone with a weight loss goal or a health goal, I mean, they could get sick or get into a car accident and throws it off. And then what? Um, you know, so it's, it's a delicate balance between here's where I want to be in five years. I'm going to work on it every day. And then here's what life did to me two years in, and now I have to readjust and now what's important to me, but I'm still moving forward in life. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all very valid and awesome points. Um, so why don't we fast forward a little bit to, I really want to get to, you're talking about your loss of your grandmother, uh, and going through the divorce and all that. So why don't we skip ahead a little bit to that and what, um, fast forward a little bit. Yeah. So, um, you know, talking about the, for your, you know, show and your message, I mean, obviously bunch of lows within a bunch of highs coming out of it. Um, you know, one of those came towards the end of 2018. Uh, I was at a company and things were okay. The company itself was going through some rough stuff. Uh, and then in October of 2018, my grandmother passed away. Who's like, other than my parents, she's the closest family member that I've had. Mm -hmm. Also, ha even at my age, I haven't lost a lot of people in my life. So that was like a huge deal and it was very sudden. Um, so that happened. And then basically the company ended and I lost my job at the end of November. And then I was going through a divorce, which was, you know, in the final stages, but, you know, having to deal with stuff. And then I was without a job. So what were we going to do divorce wise? Um, and then that basically ended at the end of December. 
So I, you know, had to make a career choice and I had all these transitions starting out 2019 with no job, no money, no idea what I was going to do. I wanted to go oh, into consulting, uh, no prospects, no pipeline, no network, no anything. Uh, you I know, mean, let's say you had somewhat of a network from all of your experiences. You can't so, call that some- no network. Not pretty close to no network because in those times when I've worked at companies, I was mostly just in that company and doing those things and not expanding my network. And really what they tell you, like if you're going to be a consultant, do two things, have enough money for you to live on for 12 months so you can float yourself, which I didn't have uh, at less than no money. Uh, And then also uh, make sure you build up like a network full of people who would hire you the moment that you're available doing consulting. So you don't have much downtime and you can roll into it. And so I was starting out like I, I hadn't built network with that intention. And so that's why I say like I had no network because it was like, okay, who, who do I even know? And what could I do? So what made you go into consulting? Well, it's, um, so uh, part of my windy path we didn't cover is that I took a break from uh, sales, sales leadership and kind of everything to work as a government contractor for mm-hmm. the military as a civilian on um, government contracts for the DOD. And so I actually deployed to the Middle East uh, for the better part of four years. And uh, part of that was the debt, the debt that I had from early on in the story, I'd still had with me. So part of it was to take care of that debt and some other debt. um, And also just kind of get away and make a change and see if that's what I should do instead. And uh, while I was out in the desert for several years, I realized, you know, what I want to do is consulting. And what I love doing is sales operations, coaching, leadership. And so I went back to school and went uh, online and uh, earned my MBA so that I could basically legitimize what I had known and what I had done and then add some you know, more knowledge in there and then apply that with the goal of consulting. And then instead of going into consulting, I got an offer to go work at a company doing essentially consulting, but internal and fixing everything. And so that you know, kept me from that for about three years. And then when that job ended, then I thought, okay, now's my chance. I'll just you know, run back with that plan. When you were uh, along the way, you've mentioned a lot of people that have kind of pulled you out into different roles and stuff. Before you started consulting, did you start doing that with people in your career? Like, were there a few times where you started applying that with other people that you worked with? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because as I was, even at that last company I was at, I was doing consulting and doing those things and then becoming more and more self-aware during that time there with some help from the person I worked for um, in just looking at like, what were my strengths? What was I really good at? What did I like doing? And then doing more of that. And then essentially, even though I was an employee then and a consultant now, as a consultant now, I'm doing those same, literally those same things that I was, um, just building that toolbox, if you will, in other ways. Uh, but yeah, now I just do that for companies. So uh, you had mentioned earlier when you were partnering with that other person and you were on your own that you would do the thing where you'd like take naps and go do your yep. errands and stuff. Uh, so were you, how did you feel about going out on your own again? Did you learn your lesson or? I, I did. And, and, it's interesting because, you know, part of that back then it was, you know, making all those mistakes that people do when they're working from home or distracted and challenged and, and, and whatnot. Um, when I went into this, 
it was partially being connected with why I wanted to do it and, and having a different purpose and reason. Back then it was like, this is this fun thing to do and let's do it and let's make this successful. This is different where, where it's more in, ta- uh, in tune with self-awareness and I'm not going to say big mission, big purpose, like capital letters, but more of like who I am and how I can impact people and what drives me and what excites me, mm-hmm. right? Like, like when I went into consulting a year and a half ago, it was like I was pretty clear on where time lost all meaning and what I just love to do and where it was super fun and the value I could give to come. Now there's a lot of doubt. There was a lot of like imposter syndrome and am I good enough? And will people actually hire me and all of that stuff, that mental baggage that comes with it. Um, But I knew like I was more driven. So it was two parts. One is I was driven that way. And then I was also driven by a different and maybe more significant level of survival. and, And I wouldn't say fear, but in a like, I need to make this work. And the other thing that's interesting, because this is what I did at the same time, is I'm going to go into consulting. This is great. I'm going to get a business license. I'm going to do all these things. And is this the right way for my life to go? So I also applied to a ton of jobs. Because I'm oh, like, wow. I don't know. Okay. I don't know which way life is going to go. And, and it wasn't, I wasn't like half pregnant. It wasn't like I, you know, foot in each way. I was like, I just wasn't sure where life wanted me to go and what was the right way. Maybe I should go be an employee somewhere and that was the better way to go. I didn't know. So I gave both of them all the effort, applied to a ton mm-hmm. of jobs, literally only had one interview and I was applying all over the country, not just in one little area. Jobs I was perfectly, perfectly qualified for, couldn't get a single job offer. And I took that as the sign, like chips all in, burn the ships, go into consulting. And wow. you know, I was playing that game for about three months. And then I was like, nope, that's it. Super clear. I, even if I'm making $0, like this is the only way I've just got to go this way only. Yeah. So let's talk about that a little bit because it took you six months before you started making any money, right? Correct. And so I, I mean, I applaud you for sticking with it for six months. Uh, but how did you do that? Like, how did you come up with the courage or the wherewithal to be like, all right, I'm going to stick this out to, until I finally um, get somewhere? You know, courage. I, I want to say it was courage. I don't know. Again, maybe this, I'm just not smart enough. So I don't know. Um, you know what? Uh, part of it was, and, and I'll tell you, because I think this is important, you know, for people to hear and maybe for your audience, especially when you're talking about losing is under the premise that two things, two things have been true for my life to date with all the ups and with all the downs. One is I've never been homeless right? And some people have, they've hit way lower points without support. I've always had my parents. I've always had family. I've always had some kind of support, not a safety net. Like I don't rely on it, but I just know it. Like, and I've been through enough stuff where universe, God, whatever, you know, whatever you want to attribute it to, it always works out in like, it's like, for example, I'm unemployed. I don't have any money. I don't have a career. I'm going into consulting. I have nothing. My grandma, which passed away uh, like a month before then, some inheritance, I get some money that keeps me afloat. I start running out of money, something else comes through, I get some money from you know another thing, not a ton, not enough for me to be lazy or complacent or go want to sit on a beach somewhere, just enough to keep alive for like another few months. 
it, what I've learned in life is like it will always like it will always show up right when you need it if you mm. just keep pushing away. Like I've always had that where it's like I literally don't know how I'm gonna pay my bills next week, and then boom, money shows up just enough, and I just keep going and keep plugging away, and then it will get better. Um, so that's like the big message. And then the other thing is I tell people all the time like you, you you've survived 100% of your bad days. If you're mm. listening to this and you're alive and you woke up, no matter how bad your days have been, you've survived them all. And so just Amen. keep going. That's so true. Yeah, 100%. I think, uh, man, even right now, a lot of people could hear that because I'm sure there's a lot of bad days going on. <sighs> yeah, and, and, and the challenges, and you know, obviously there's people in way worse situations and going through terrible stuff. And like, it's always the case. There's always somebody going through something worse than you are. Um, and you know, a lot of times it's just letting go of the, the how and the what, you know, and just focusing mm. on what you're doing and just having that faith and that trust. And, you know, if you're on the right path, like uh, what I found, uh, it's, it, it will work out. If you're on the wrong path, those doors will just keep hitting you in the face. And eventually you're going to have to change, you know, directions. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's, that's what kept me through it. That's what, you know, six months in. And, and also it wasn't six months in just sitting on the couch, hoping stuff was going to happen. I'm working full time. I'm working like 10, 12, 15 hour days, just trying to create stuff. I started my podcast. I'm reaching out to people. I'm paying for myself to fly to trade shows and conferences so I can network. Mm. So not only am I not making money, I am spending money. Yeah. Uh, and, and investing in myself and trying to make it happen. So I was like going the other direction. Um, but it was an investment. I mean, it's, it's running a business and growing something. And sometimes that's what you got to do short term. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, I applaud you for not calling it quits before the six months. Um, and Thanks. before you started, that's, that's a really big deal. And, uh, so now you are, so let's talk about your wins. So, you know, we are what, like a year into this now right? So yep. Another Just six about. months past that. Uh, that's yep. awesome. And so you finally get your first success under your belt. Yeah. I mean, it was amazing. I still remember the day and the date and exactly what happened. You know, it was about a year ago. Uh, literally I had nothing, was sitting on nothing. And then in one day, uh, two different people approached me and two different people hired me instantly. So I went from zero to like instantly busy uh, two dates to the prom who both wanted me to be in different actual countries at the same time. And I had to shuffle things around and balance it. And I went from zero utilization of my time, like paid utilization, like billing to like just lights out busy for like literally since then for That's like a awesome. year. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, amazing. And like the next six months, like if we look at that calendar year in 2019, where the first half I made zero and the second half, I mean, it was, it was an amazing year and some great opportunities that came up and, you know, it's the beginning of things and I learned a lot and, you know, still not mistakes, but, you know, just lessons and how do I get better and how do I improve? Like I've never, I, I know I haven't arrived and I know I never will. Uh, I've learned that in life too. As soon as you think you have and you think you know it all, like you will get another lesson thrown at you as well. But um, yeah, no, from there, it was just amazing. It was just like instant. Um, and it was funny because I went from working, you know, for myself, trying to build, trying to create, trying to plant seeds, you know, working on that kind of in survival, semi panic mode, you know, where's this going to come from to then working, you know, 60, 80s hours a week for clients and relaxed because it was like, oh, this is, this is the fun stuff. Like this is easy. And uh, yeah. then it, it was like, I, I could actually relax because I was only working like 68 hours a week traveling like every week um, because, you know, that was, that was you know, the, the result of all the seeds I was planting as funny as yeah. it sounds. Yeah, no, that's awesome. I, uh, 
And it sounds like you're excited to do, obviously, you're excited to do that 60 to 80 hours a week, whereas um, it sounds like you've really found like your passion after all these quote unquote losses and learning along the way of like you're yeah. finally settling into something that is more true to your heart and true to something that you're really passionate about, like you said. So that's what For makes, sure. and that's what makes it easier to not take naps and go be distracted about <laughs> yeah. other things, which I'm sure well, still happens. It, like it, you know, everyone's human, but <laughs> you know what? Like, I guess like for me, it's, it's either so much stuff like we were talking about beforehand. There's so much stuff that I just want to do. Mm. Um, it's tough for me to sit there. Cause I just, I, mm. I've gotten to the point now where I can see how I can help people companies, businesses, salespeople, anybody. And it's like, I almost feel more of a responsibility to do it. And if I'm not mm. doing it, I'm not working on it. Like I'm letting myself down and who can I help? And, you know, it's, and, and not in a big, like, you know, mother Teresa kind of way, but still in like a, you know, there's so much to do. Uh, I just, you know, appreciate that opportunity. So yeah. I, try, I don't, I don't, I don't relax very well. yeah i feel that a hundred percent if you talk to anybody that knows me they would all agree with that sentiment um so i actually want to go back in uh i had a kind of a thought um you had mentioned going back to school to get your mba to like kind of validate validate that's validate there it is (laughs) uh your like your lessons that you've learned along the way and what I find, what I really just want to point out with that is, um, you know, you were well along your journey at that point and oh, yeah. you could have, you could have tried to make it without having gone back to school. Sure. Um, but I just think that sometimes Gary Vee can downplay going back to school or downplay going to school to get like those real credentials. But can you maybe talk about how getting those were helpful or maybe they weren't helpful and you probably didn't need to do that if you have any input about that, I think um, that might be valuable to hear. So, you know what I, I think? So here's what I would put from my personal journey with going back to school for the MBA is I thought it would, I, I would leverage it more and use it more as a title, as a way to validate myself and overcome the windy path I had been on for so long. Um, and, you know, the marine biology degree and the other stuff we haven't even talked about that I've done that makes no sense uh, for where I'm at now. And so I thought that would be important. I thought that credentials would help. I thought, you know, that would facilitate getting into, you know, consulting and, and getting clients. Um, the information was good, but I could have got all that for free. I could have literally gotten all those books and done all those, right? Like the, the, the Tim Ferriss model of the MBA instead of getting the MBA and just use that money. So for me, it, it hasn't, and I never leverage it. And I, I don't even have it like in my signature. I don't have it like anywhere where it looks like I got to show off that I have this, you know, MBA, you know, like some people do and, and other careers and other people. It's important for me. I just don't. Um, it did two things for me. One is it gave me a lot of information I didn't have because I didn't have that like actual corporate business, like information that I can now use. And it gave me that stuff. And again, could have got all that for free, watch enough YouTube videos, like bought the books, like I literally could have got it. Um, But I will tell you what it did for me and made it worth it as a cost and as an investment is it gave me the confidence in myself and helped me see what I really enjoyed and loved to do. 
um, and tied it all together and allowed me to go out in the world, even though I never mentioned it. Like you brought it up. I can't even remember the last time I told anybody I had an MBA. It's so funny. Like I never bring that up in any conversation. However, um, I just know it and I, mm -hmm. and it ties things together. So for me, it was worth it, right? It's almost like a self-help a seminar mm -hmm. you would go to where no one else is going to see the effects, but you're going to feel it. It's mm -hmm. almost what it did for me. And I'll tell you, some people, when I, you know, when I used to go to class as in my bachelor's degree, there was classes I'd go to. There was always that older person in the front of the class that would ask questions and always raise their hand. And they were annoying as, you know, an 18, 19, 20 year old student. It's an annoying older person, probably in their thirties, this old person, and they drive you crazy and you didn't get it. And why were they so excited? And school sucks and you're just checking boxes and this is dumb, right? Then I went back to school at 38, 39 years old. Mm -hmm. And I was now that person. And it was the easiest thing I've ever done. Those classes were so easy because it was in alignment. Um, that it was worth it to me, even if I don't use it a lot, like it was true to me. And I think what Gary Vee talks a lot about is not going to school because you have to, or you feel like you need to, or parents are telling you, or you've got to check those boxes, or it's part of the American dream. Like he also says, like, if that's what you want to do and it fits for you and it's a good investment and it makes sense for you, do it, but don't right. do it because you feel like you have to. Yeah. A hundred percent. No, that's awesome. I think that's a really good perspective on that going back to school. And I didn't, I didn't realize that you were 38. That's really cool that you did that. Yeah. It wasn't, you know, and I joked about it a lot and I tell people it, it wasn't until I was 38 until I realized what I wanted to be when I grew up. Uh, <laughs> right. And now I'm 44, but now I was like, I remember taking, and, and this is interesting and this is also helpful. I think this is, you know, a good thing for people to understand is I didn't know I'm sitting in the desert on a government contract, you know, doing what we were doing out there. And I'm like, I'm gonna, I need to do something with my time and improve my life. So I took a free Coursera course on operations management and literally sitting in this free course that I was giving everything, I got through with the course. I said, oh my gosh, I love operations management. I didn't even know that was a title. I didn't even know there was a label for what I'd like to do from an operational side. And literally two weeks later, I'm enrolled in an MBA program or applying for MBAs and working on my, my, my uh, the GMAT, I think it was. And it was just like, uh, you know, I was like, Oh, I got it. I know what it is. And so I think that's important. You know, if you're not sure if you're lost, it's like, okay, what is it out there? And just try lots of stuff. Yeah. So, uh, related, I started my MBA. I took one class at UMass Lowell. Actually, it was an online MBA and I didn't realize that you sometimes need to pick like a narrow, more narrow focus yeah. for your MBA. And I, I took one class. I thought it was good, but I realized it like, wasn't, I just didn't feel it. Like I wasn't ready yeah. for it. I didn't, I knew I didn't, I could muscle it out and stick it out if I really wanted to just get those three letters at the end of my name. But I kind of felt like why? And, and I also didn't know how I want to narrow my focus. So I stopped and, um, I, I'm totally okay with that. And maybe someday in the future, like when I'm 38, I'll go back and do it again. But I just knew at the time it wasn't what I wanted to be doing, you know? Well, and I think when you're, you know, referencing kind of the Gary V model, like the headline that he mentions versus, you know, with some of the particulars he'll bring up, but I think that's important. I think it's important that you stopped. It didn't feel right. Don't force it. Don't get into debt. Don't spend your time doing it. If it's not a lights out, like this is amazing. I love to do it and it's worth it. Um, just wait and give yourself time. I mean, again, going back to all the windy path that I had, I mean, I went into marine biology because it'd be fun, but here I am. So. Yeah. Uh, awesome. Is there, uh, is there any other wins you want to talk about or anything that we didn't talk about that you think would be valuable um, 
to to talk about? How many no, times I, can I say talk about? Like, <laughs> <six times? laughs> uh, no, you know, I, I, you know, for me, I think it's, I think the biggest thing, and I don't have an answer for this, but I think the biggest thing that's tough in life is, are you on the right path or what's the clear path? Um, you know, whether it's, it's sales or life or health or fitness relationships, business, whatever that is, um, you know, you're hitting a wall and you're struggling. Is it because that's a wall you need to break through and a barrier you need to overcome and then it'll get easier? Like the treasure is right on the other side or is that the wall because it's the wrong way to go and you're going down the wrong hallway and you need to change? Um, you know, sometimes you just got to keep pushing and, and figure it out. Not that that answers your question, but that, that's, that's something always people come up to is like where, and then just look for when it gets easier. Not, not when it's easy, but when you can see it and it feels like it and just feels right and the alignment is there. Um, again, like, you know, many times health wise, it's like, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. And it's like, Oh, that, that seems like a good way to go. And then all of a sudden it's super easy and the energy is there. Um, and then you just got to build those habits. Yeah. I think there's no one easy answer. And I think you could probably Google like a bunch of questions to ask yourself if you're on the right path yep. or whatever. Um, yep. but you know, it's still, it's still not an easy mathematical thing. And I think it's a lot of emotion and uh, mindset too. Right. And, uh, I think, just to add to your point, um, the, the path that you might be on might be meant to be a loss. Right. And that's yep. what I like to highlight in this show is like, you know, you quote unquote lost marine biology or you quote unquote lost all those things, but it might, it, it ultimately meant to be your losses. Right. And, um, yeah. a path just because you're on a path doesn't mean it's always going to be on the, that specific path might not always lead to a win at the end of that path. You might have to divert and go to somewhere else. So, um. well, and, and that's the biggest thing. Like my grandma used to say all the time too, is like, you just don't know why something's happening. Like you're going through the storm or this difficult time. You literally never know while you're in the middle of it until you look back. I can look back and I go, okay, that's why I went through that. That's why that failed. It's because it set me up for this or connected me here. If I hadn't failed, I would have just kept plugging away because I failed or because I hit this wall or had to stop, I met this other person or I went this other direction and now I'm here, right? Yeah. And I am hoping that when I look back and like, everyone keeps telling me this is true, but when I look back in like two or three years and I look back on how crazy it's been trying to organize my wedding during a pandemic that I'm so, like, oh, that's why that needed to happen. But as of and, right and, now, <laughs> I don't know if I feel like that. <laughs> and when you're in the middle of it, I know for me when I'm in the middle of it, it's tough to... to you don't know what the outcome is and the reason why you never know. You literally never know why. Um, you just have to hold on to the, that vision and have that faith that down the road, when you look back, it will make sense and there will be value and purpose in it. But yeah, yeah. that's tough. If nothing else, it'll be memorable. You'll have a story. Yeah, yeah. That's what everyone keeps saying. So, you know, yeah. We got something going for me. <laughs> Everyone during this time will remember that birthday that they had to do a weird Zoom birthday or a driveway birthday or the marriage or you know the wedding yeah. or the you know whatever the child like whatever it is. Everyone will remember it for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Well, awesome. This was a really great interview, and uh, I think you um, had a lot of good stories about your path and journey. And it was definitely a lot of losses and a lot of wins from it. So yes. uh, yep. thank you so much for taking some time to interview with me. And do you have anything that you want to tell our, um, my listeners where they could find more about you or, uh, you know, just whatever you're working on? 
Yeah. So probably the best thing that I mean, it depends on anybody who's listening and what they're looking for or what they do or, or what they're in need of. Uh, I, you know, my current role is a sales consultant. So I help companies and salespeople and training. Uh, I recently launched a program and I have a book coming out soon, depending on when people listen to this and it's, uh, around authentic persuasion. So if you go to authenticpersuasion.com, I have a free ebook there. And then there's a program, my book that'll be coming out. It's called selling with authentic persuasion. Uh, transforming from order taker to quota breaker. So if you're in sales or you're thinking about sales, you know, there's a lot of stuff about, you know, taking everything I've learned in my windy path yet makes me really successful in sales because it's authentic. And then I'm using persuasion because I come from a non-sales background. So if you're in that, like that's something I recommend. I'm active on LinkedIn. So you can find me there. Uh, my business website, uh, cutterconsultinggroup.com, you know, hit me up any, you know, talking about life journeys, goals, sales, mindset. I love talking about all that stuff. So anyone wants to reach out to me, you know, I'd love to chat. Awesome. Wonderful. I'll uh, be sure to add that stuff to the show notes. So Cool. Well, thank you so much for spending your time with me today. I appreciate it. All right. Thanks, Sarah. I appreciate it. I can really relate to a lot of Jason's stories or career path because when I was in college going for my mechanical engineer degree, I distinctly remember telling a professor saying, I will never sit behind a computer eight hours a day and crunch numbers and, you know, do like whatever mechanical engineers are pictured to be doing. Um, and then lo and behold, when I graduated, that's exactly what I ended up doing. And, you know, I just, it was what I could get at the time. It was a learning experience and I didn't end up hating it. And I thought also I could work my way into management, but management didn't work out at that location. And so I was like, all right, well, what's my next move? What's my next move? And I just kept doing the best I could do. And eventually I got involved in systems engineering, which is automating manufacturing floors. And that brought me a lot more interface with people. I got to engage with people a lot more, work with a lot of different groups. And that's where I really started to shine because I could combine my engineering skills with people facing uh, skills. And so then from there, I jumped off into getting a way higher paying job as well, still doing similar stuff. So it took me a while to get there, probably almost eight-ish years. Uh, maybe not quite as long as Jason took, but I hope the lesson that you're taking away from this long story short is that, you know, you don't have to have everything figured out by the time you're 30 or by the time I think he even got past 40. Um, and, uh, these losses along the way, they could be feel devastating at the time, but there's always a way to find them as a positive and a way to jump to the next step or to learn a little bit or to just know that they were there for a reason and to use that as your advantage to not feel completely depressed about what you're doing at the moment. So anyway, I hope you enjoyed this episode. I am going to bring you another episode next week. I forget what the subject is on, but I'm sure it's something great. Stay healthy in the meantime, as always. WLMWpodcast at gmail.com is where you can find me if you know anybody that wants to be a guest. Thank you. Have a great day.